I kind of had to make a decision real quick. Like, am I going to get in a fist fight with this guy or what's going to happen? So I, I get my pepper spray out and I, you know, I blessed him with the hot sauce, as John likes to say. Let's talk about dry fire. Dry fire is an important part of anyone's training regimen. We recommend you pick up the Manus Firearms training system. The Manus X is a phenomenal little tool in your toolbox. Manus has been a longtime supporter of active self-protection, and we are super grateful for their support and their product. We found it to be so valuable in our own shooting work. You're going to get immediate, measurable, visual feedback. It can take so much time out of the learning curve of dry fire, and this product is worth every penny in our opinion. What gets measured gets improved, and this helps you measure every aspect of dry and live fire. Visit them at mantis.com and let them know you heard about them on the Active Self-Protection Podcast. Alrighty, gang, welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am yet again your host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed with us today. Another new friend of mine from Colorado. His name is Bill. Is it Halliday? Is that pronounced it correctly? Halliday. Bill Halliday. Yep. Uh, he wrote in about an experience very close to home, and this is very similar other than the outcome to one of the ones we had a while. I don't know if you saw the video or heard the podcast, uh, a man in Phoenix who had um, an ongoing issue with a former neighbor who was a parolee, really bad dude who he had tried to help out. And that guy stalking him and our previous um, guest had to deal with him by shooting him, unfortunately. And that was actually a highest rated podcast of all time. And it was a big, a big one on the main channel. So this is similar, but with a slightly better uh, outcome all the way around. So first of all, Bill, thanks for writing in. As I like to say, if it weren't for people like you, there wouldn't be a show. Um, so I appreciate you doing that and being willing to come on and talk about your experience. So talk to us about your life before this incident. Um, I know you mentioned that you found active self-protection not that long ago, or maybe you didn't say that, uh, but you found out you watch a lot of active self-protection videos. Are you someone who is self-defense minded generally? Are you a firearms carrier? Are you trained in any kind of martial arts or anything like that? Yeah, so I, I definitely train. Um, I started carrying a firearm around 20. Well, actually, I got my first uh, defensive shotgun for home defense around 2019. Um, I, uh, I bought a house uh, off grid in the mountains of Colorado. And I woke up one morning at like 530 in the morning and there's two dudes standing on my porch. And um, they had just uh, and, you know, my my house was my driveway is like a quarter mile long. My house was more than a um, three quarters of a mile probably even close to a mile from my closest neighbor. So I wake up to a loud knock on my door, like six o'clock in the morning. There's two dudes standing on my front porch. And, you know, the good news was their car had broken down and they just wanted to use my phone because there was like the place that I lived, there was no cell service. Mm. But um, that sort of me into, you know, I, I spent uh, a lot of time living in New Jersey. So firearms were like kind of outside of my, uh, my, my normal worldview. But um, that sort of clued me into how vulnerable I was in, in a place like that. You know, if you call the police, they're at best 15 minutes away. And so that sort of started my, um, my journey into defensive tools. But how long ago was that? So that would have been around 2019. Okay. And then, um, it wasn't soon. It was maybe like six months or so after that, that, um, I got my first pistol and started doing, uh, concealed carry. Can I ask what your first pistol was? Yeah. So it was a, Bodyguard 380. I still have it. Okay. And if you, you've got other firearms since then, I take it? Yeah. So I recently got a Shadow Systems XR920, which uh, which I like a lot. Um, basically a Glock clone, but with uh, with some major upgrades. Um, 
It's like a Glock 45 clone, essentially. Yeah, I've seen a buddy of mine actually might be going to work for them down in Texas. I'm, I'm curious. I hadn't heard of them before. Um, do they do they just take stock like bone stock Glocks and modify them or do they build them from scratch? Because I'm not sure. Yeah, so my understanding is that they build them from scratch. Um, and I actually compared the two when I, I actually when I went to buy this, I was originally going to get a Glock 45 and the guy at the gun store was like, you really should take a look at the shadow systems. The the stippling um, is way better than a Glock. Um, the I, I think the trigger is better. The um, optics setup that they have is um, way better from my understanding. Um, and so, you know, to, to make a Glock as good as the equivalent shadow systems, you'd have to spend a couple hundred bucks more money in my opinion. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, so are you, do you train with some regularity? I, I like to ask, you know, are you at the range very often? Do you take classes or anything like that? Or do you just buy a gun and kind of practice with it on your own? So I've taken a couple classes when I had the house in the mountains, I actually had a shooting like a, a range on my property. Cause I had some, some acreage and there was space to do that. Mm. Um, since I sold that place, I, I try to go to the range, uh, once a month or so. Um, I also have since like, I've, I've put together a number of AR 15s at this point, like basically from a pile of parts and stuff. So I got, uh, I actually got pretty into it on, on some level. Very cool. So, the incident we're going to discuss here happened, as you just said, not not that long ago. Um, it involves you using a defensive tool um, against someone. So kind of walk us through uh, where you were and who it was you were interacting with and what happened that day. Yeah. So just to give you a little background, after I sold that house that I mentioned, I, uh, I bought a travel trailer and it's basically just me and my wolf dog, a uh, little puppy about six months ago. And we had a cordial relationship. Um, I actually used to take their dog um over to like a field that's in the rv park and let let it run around with my dog um but as the dog got older um first of all you know it, it was annoying everyone around here they put it out at five o'clock in the morning 11 o'clock at night it'd be barking its head off um you know which which isn't the worst thing in the world but then it would also get loose very regularly and it would be just running around the rv park and it wouldn't listen to come back and you know it, it would think that it was a game and um, one day, about a month before the incident happened, um, the, the couple who own the dog and who are my neighbors, they're, um, I would say they're in their 60s probably. And um, the, you know, the dog was out running around. I was trying to get in my truck with my dog. Their dog is like jumping on me, trying to jump in my truck with my dog. And so I kind of like I, I yelled at her. I was just like, you know, you have to get control of your dog. And she's like, I can. It's a puppy. And I'm like, he's your responsibility. You have to get control of him. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, you know, a, a few weeks or whatever go by and I come out of my, my trailer with my dog and, um, their dog starts like jumping all over me, jumping all over my dog. And so I yelled at them. I was, you know, I said, Hey, come get your fucking dog. Mm -hmm. And like, but you know, I yelled it in sort of an angry tone. And, uh, just as, just as the, the husband who's probably, He's like six or seven inches shorter than me. I probably have 70 pounds and almost 30 years on him. Mm -hmm. um, as he's coming out, as he's coming out the, uh, the door, the dog goes to jump on me. So I put my knee up basically to like, you know, knee it in the chest to stop it from jumping on me, which is the same thing that I would do to my own dog. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, he like basically loses his mind. He's like, you MFR, you kick my dog. I'm going to kick your ass. He like takes his shirt off and starts coming over to me. And actually what's interesting and one of the main reasons why I wrote you is that I had just gotten finished working out. So I was just wearing athletic shorts, 
Um, and prior to really watching your, you know, your uh, content, the stuff that John does on the main channel, especially, um, I wouldn't necessarily carry my tools on me. Um, but like when I'm wearing athletic shorts like that, I make it a point to have my my pepper spray, which I, I have in my pocket right now. Um, and then also I had my my bodyguard 380 on me uh, because it's, you know, relatively light. And so even if, if I carry that in, uh, you know, appendix in a uh, uh, in a athletic shorts it's you know fine right um it doesn't weigh it down or anything like that um, so so, when, so the sh and, when the shirt came off that's when you knew it got serious right i mean that's how you know yeah. someone's probably really yeah. good at fighting first of all and they're, they're not they're not kidding around yeah he he definitely was not kidding around right and i i kind of had to make a decision real quick like am i going to get in a fist fight with this guy or what's going to happen so i i get my pepper spray out and i sprayed him like you know you know, I blessed him with the hot sauce, right. as John likes to say. And um, he actually was still able to land a kick on me. He it, it didn't hurt at all, but he kind of hit me like uh, like right sort of where my thigh meets my groin area. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a particularly hard kick. And then after that happened, he like immediately turned around and started like the fight was gone out of him. You know, it, it took about a second, I would say, to take effect. But the fight was gone out of him uh, right after that. And so at that point, he went home and re-evaluated re, re, uh, his life decisions and never bothered you again, right? Uh, not exactly, no. Oh. Um, so, so what happened was um, after that, I came inside and called the police. And then I went out and just sat on my, my uh, front step. Um, and a couple minutes go by and he comes back out. He's like, you know, you MFer, you're a pussy. You pepper sprayed me. Why don't you fight me like a man? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so then, um, so then I pulled like, I, in hindsight, I probably should not have done this. You know, I, I told the police the whole thing and they were fine with it, mm -hmm. but, um, I ended up drawing my firearm. I didn't point it at him or anything. I just put it at, at my side and I said, you come back over here. I'm going to shoot you. And he was still running his mouth. Then I got my, like, as I'm holding my, my gun in one hand, I get my phone out and I start recording him. And it was at that point that he decided to shut up and go back in his trailer. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how uh, how being on tape can change people's behavior and attitude. So, you said you'd had a cordial relationship with this person up until this point. So, was there any indication he looked like a knucklehead, like a criminal type, or or what? Oh yeah, he 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 definitely looked like a knucklehead. But I just you know I try to try to. I mean, I I just don't want to have any problems with anyone. So I was. I tried to be nice to them, you know. Like I said, I would take their dog, and because like they didn't ex they didn't exercise it at all, they didn't train it, and I really just felt bad for the dog. So like I told you, I would take it to the, you know I would go over and and say like, hey, do you mind if I take the dogs over to the field and let them run around? And they would they would run around and play together and fun. It was you know no problem. Um, but you know especially it's um it's a lab mix or it might even be a a, a purebred lab. But you know it it when it was a puppy it was fine. But, you know, now it's getting to be 60, 70 pounds, something like that. I mean, it's a it's a big dog. So when it jumps on you like it, you know, forces you back. In fact, one of the police officers that was here jumped on him and I saw him like have to take a couple steps back because it's, you know, turned into a big dog. And so, um, you know, the, the combination of just being trained, getting out all the time and then, you know, putting on a whole lot of weight made it a much more serious issue for me as time went on. Labs are smart dogs. It's a shame they didn't bother taking any time and investing in trying to train them. That's that's too bad. So you, you spray him. He goes back in. You're, you call 911. You're waiting on the porch now. You have a firearm on you. How long were you sitting there before he walked back outside and started to threaten you again? 
Um, I want to say it was somewhere between five and ten minutes. Okay, and how was he holding up? Now, had he? I assume he tried to decon himself a little bit from the pepper spray. Oh, what was that like? Yeah, that that's my assumption. His eyes were like super red. Um, you know, but it was one of those like I don't say this on the channel sometimes that like you know where when your less lethal tools work, they work, and it it worked immediately. But I I think it also pissed them off quite a lot. Um, so I think at the same time that it it took the fight out of him for a number of minutes. It also sort of amped up his uh, his aggression level in some ways. All right, well, I mean, that's this is this is a perfect use case for OC spray. This is exactly what it's for. Uh, is someone who's threatening you? He's not armed. Who's threatening you? Says they're going to kick your butt. Yada yada. And that's when it that's when it's appropriate. And you know, it works. It works almost always. Not always. Um, I had to spray something like. I don't know, 130, 140 people, agents that I was training. I was an instructor. And there's no telling who it won't work on. There's just certain people. It has nothing to do with ethnicity, skin tone, what your diet is, if you eat you know, a lot of hot sauce. It just doesn't matter. And there's just no telling. Um, fairer skinned people like me tend to suffer a little worse. It just shut me down every time I get hit with it in training. It shut me down for a good 45 minutes to an hour. I couldn't do much of anything. Um, but this is exactly what it's for. And it, it almost is always going to work. And you're not going to cause, generally speaking, unless there's some unforeseen circumstances, you're not going to cause any long-term damage with those fee spray. You're just not going to. Now, could they be clutching their face and walk in front of a truck? Well, that's a possibility. Um, but, you know, that it's generally speaking, it's a safe tool to use. Can I ask what brand you used? Yeah, it's, um, again, because of uh, watching your channel, it's uh, the Palm OC that, uh, that nice. you guys recommend. Very good. All yeah. right. All right, Palm, you heard it here first. I need I need a sponsor. Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, anyway, um, so the police show up. They, they saw the dog. The dog wasn't super aggressive. The dog wasn't really a problem. It was the owner. But they get there, and I assume they talk to you first, and what do you tell them, and what was their sort of their attitude like? Were they, were they like, or annoyed to be there, or were they professional? What was it like? They were they were very professional. Um, they talked to both of us. Obviously, you know they lied. You know they both of them lied and basically said, you know that I just pepper sprayed them for no reason. I pepper sprayed him for no reason, and he wasn't trying to fight me or whatever. Um, but you know the um, the 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 other dude apparently the the cop relayed this to me later. He basically said this guy is so much bigger than me. Why would I try to fight him? And I I am legitimately a lot bigger than him. Right. Um, and then so and the cop's reply was obviously he felt like he had the pepper he felt like he had the pepper spray you so there's probably a good reason for that um yeah yeah and i'm yeah, going i'm i'm 61 over 250 uh and i don't generally get messed with by people but if you're out there listening or watching this man don't it, never underestimate someone based on their size you know you can, if you get a, a guy who's a good fighter who's you know 5'5 five, five, 130 pounds he can do a lot of damage so size is not everything but it is an important factor. There's a reason they have weight divisions in martial arts and in UFC because obviously a bigger person has has that advantage. Uh, did he end up going to jail? Or did they charge him with anything? So they the police asked me if I wanted to pursue any kind of charges. I said no. Um, you know, mostly because I just don't want the hassle of having to go through court and potentially be a witness and all that sort of stuff. And like honestly, I really I just like I I just wanted them to get their dog under control and basically leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I wasn't really trying to ruin anyone's life or whatever, but he did end up going to jail. Um, he got out in a couple hours, but apparently he had a warrant related to um, something else. Um, one other interesting thing that I want to note, too, is that 
the the cop told me, you know, it's a good thing that you pepper sprayed him because if you laid him out, you know, he's like 25 years older than me, a lot smaller than me. He was like, if you had you actually laid him out, um, we would have had to have a very different conversation and make 100 percent sure that it was justified. Whereas like with the pepper spray, there wasn't there's no lasting harm done. Interesting. That is an interesting point. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. So the guy gets out in two hours. Does he come right home? Yeah, so he came right home. Actually, he got whoever, I think it was his son. So one of the other things that they were saying to me during the incident, you know, they were like, "My, you know, our son's going to come over. He's going to kick your ass, blah, blah, blah. So I think it was the son. It was the son that dropped them off. And they actually, uh, it was it was daytime when the incident happened. But by the time he got home, it was nighttime. When they got home, they were like shining their, their uh, bright, their high beams in my trailer and whatever. Um, they were, they were, a little bit upset um even though it was there and still see why they might have been a little bit mad so this this guy is still your neighbor he's still around no so uh, uh what happened was um obviously the management of the rv park made some inquiries around what happened um uh there was basically one witness uh to the to the whole thing who basically backed up exactly what i said and then i also provided them with the incident report from the police i think you may have even seen that. Um, and um, they initially they said that they, they uh, basically wanted them to leave the RV park. Um, and what ended up happening was that they like begged to be able to stay. He had, he had his wife go down there because he's kind of a coward. Mm. Um, so he had his wife go down there and beg to let them to let them stay. And they're now literally at like on the other side of the RV park from me. So they basically just made them move. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're so. Um, I don't, I don't foresee any, any, uh, additional problems. I think from what I've seen and heard in the last, uh, three weeks or whatever, it seems like they've been on their best behavior and pretty much keeping a low pro- profile since then. Yeah. They don't want to get kicked out of their place. So what are the lessons we can draw from this? I think they're kind of obvious here, but that's okay. Uh, one is have your tools on you. Uh, yeah. Even if you're working out, even if you're wearing gym clothes or whatever, um, have at least a tool on you. I would say pepper spray is probably the most universal one. That's not going to get you in trouble no matter where you are. Um, the only exception, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but you can't bring it on a plane with you. FYI, um, I know some people have reached out to me asking about appropriate places and and, uh, and such for pepper spray. You can't bring it on, on a commercial aircraft anyway. Uh, you can check it in your luggage, however. Uh, just a fun fact. Have your tools on you. If they're not on you, they're no good. Um, if you had had to you know, run back inside while he's coming at you, it would have been weird and awkward and probably wouldn't have worked out as well. So having your stuff on you is important. Being willing to use it is important. From your description, you use the OC at the perfect time. It was exactly when it was needed was he's now actively threatening you. He's walking towards you um, and assaulting you. Now, yeah, you're, you're pre-assault, actually. You're, you're good to go. Uh, and it works really effectively. Um, is there any doubt in your mind uh, at this point now that the OC is very effective? No, um, you know, I watched a number of the videos that uh, I think John has done a couple where people have taken exposures. And so I was I was pretty sure that it was effective. Um, but, yeah, there's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that it's effective. And it's actually, you know, from watching you guys that I've been carrying. A, I only started carrying the OC spray within the last three or four months, probably. And, um, you know, I, I really like this notion that it's good to have something between a harsh word and a gun, mm-hmm. because had I not had I not had that on me, I would have had my fists or my firearm as my options. And like, like you were saying, the OC spray, this is the perfect 
perfect use case for something like an OC spray. 100%. And as the officer said, you would have had a very different conversation with law enforcement if, you know, they had shown up and this guy has been punched in the face and has his nose rearranged and has passed out on the pavement. Uh, it would have been a different different story. So that's actually a really important lesson as well. Uh, Bill, is there anything you wanted to add before we part ways? I don't want to miss anything or leave anything out. No, I just want to say that I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Obviously, um, you know, in, in this particular situation, uh, the information that you guys put out kind of helped me uh, be prepared and understand how important it is to have, have your tools on you all the time. And so the only thing I would add is like, you know, now if my eyes are open, I have my tools on me. Very good. I like that. We'll, we'll leave it there. Folks, don't forget to stick around for the Gutowski Files starring Stephen Gutowski coming up right after this segment. Once again, Bill, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Mike. Well, alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Gutowski Files starring Stephen Gutowski. He is the founder of the Reload.com, the host of the weekly Reload podcast. And this week, I'm excited to say we have some really good news, some positive news surrounding what could have been some terrible news. It ended up not being terrible news because the people were prepared. We'll get to that in a moment. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. So we're recording this Monday, early this week, because we have a lot of stuff going on. And Stephen is facing down the barrel of a... <laughs> He calls it a derecho. I think it's pronounced derecho. Either way, it's an ugly storm headed towards the uh, D.C. area. So we're trying to get this in early. Uh, are you all battening down the hatches over there? Yeah. I I mean, I, I lived through one of these 10 years ago, and it was pretty rough. So uh, it's it's very unknown term or phenomenon. It's basically like a, like a storm that has extremely high winds, but it's not a hurricane or, or tornado, although they're is also a tornado watch going on. Right. Um, so they can sort of be related to each other. But uh, yeah, I don't know that my power is going to survive this storm that's coming here very yeah. soon. So my understanding is uh, it's it's like a squall line, a really long squall line of storms that bring a lot of sustained winds. So yeah. So we're praying that everything goes well there in your area um, and nothing Thank important gets knocked out, especially not your power. This week, we are, oh, hold on. First of all, who was on the Weekly Reload podcast this week? <laughs> uh, this week, we actually had National Review's Charles Cook. Look, I'm getting better at remembering right? Uh, who the guest was. Like, you know, like I can't I'm, remember the name of the city. We weren't doing badge cams. I'm like, I don't know, Detroit maybe? Because <laughs> when I when I write the, the newsletters, we do write the Friday newsletter, the free newsletter, which people should sign up for, by the way. Uh, and then we have the members newsletter that goes out on Sunday. And so the members get the podcast a day early. And so when we film these early in the week, uh, I've just sent out the, those two emails and the, the, the so like I, I'm writing the Thursday email. It has last week's episode. Right. So I have to like try and remember in my head, wait, was it uh, reasons JD to chili or was it uh, national reviews, Charles cook this week is the one right now. If you go and look, when this goes up, should be National Review's Charles Cook talking about President Biden's, uh, well, really all of his gun policies getting tossed out by the courts. Yes. What a shame. What a shame. Um, well, when you do think, ah, I don't even get, I'll get into that right now. We're getting into this happy story. And the happy story is that there was a, uh, a school, a religious school, a Jewish school in the Memphis, Tennessee area. And somebody had designs on that place to go in there and conduct a school shooting, commit a school shooting. And was stopped cold without ever getting to shoot at any students or teachers. Um, and we think there may be something of a model uh, for other schools. Now, 
understand no two schools are exactly the same. You know, a, a giant high school campus is a lot different than a small school. If a school has one building, for example, it's much easier to protect in a school with a, you know, like my son's school in, in California was acres and acres and buildings and buildings. So nothing is a, is an end all be all, but this might, might be a model for other schools. We don't know a lot about how they did it because obviously they don't want to divulge all the secrets of, you know, how they did it. But Stephen, talk to us about your understanding. You did write an article over at the reload uh, about this. Yeah, certainly. So this was a scenario where I think there were two key things that happened here. The first one is that the the attempted shooter, the person who was trying to, um, it, it seems, harm people, and police say that uh, essentially the mass shooting was averted in this case. Um, he was not able to gain entry to the part of the school where staff and students were, right? So he he... Uh, it appears, at least in pictures of him, that he got through a, a door, mm -hmm. but they must have some sort of double door system, security system there. Like you said, we don't know have all of the exact details of the physical security at this school, but clearly they had some sort of physical security. And uh, when they went into their lockdown uh, procedures, he wasn't able to get past them. And instead, he got frustrated and shot at the school from the outside, didn't hit anyone, and then he left. Um, and then the second part is that they were able to immediately share pictures and descriptions of the suspect in his vehicle with local law enforcement who were able to track him down uh, within the hour. And, and then there was a confrontation between police and him where, where the attacker, the accused uh, attacker, the suspect was, was shot himself during a, a shootout. And he's now in the hospital. He's been charged with five different serious crimes related to the two incidents. So um, the positive outcome is that nobody was har harmed and that they, this school and its uh, security network. So th there's a lot of interesting stuff, which we'll get into, but the, it's not just like the school itself and the administrators, though they obviously performed admirably mm. in this situation because they were able to prevent any lives lost. It's also sort of the broader security situation that they're part of, the, the security network that they're part of that I think makes this case particularly interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There is a security network that I had not heard of before I read your article. Um, and let's face it, folks, the Jews, people have been trying to kill the Jews for 3,000 years, so they have every every reason in the world to be, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Um, who knows the motive of this person in the attack, whether it was anti-Semitism or just plain old crazy guy wanting to kill kids for whatever reason. But what well, do we know? About, just to, just to be clear, they did rule out anti-Semitism. Oh. This was a former student apparently. Oh, interesting. But, but obviously there is anti-Semitism gives them a lot of reason yeah. to institute these sorts of security measures that they, that are in place here and that we could perhaps learn from in other communities. So what do we, what's the name of the network and what do we know about them? Yeah. So it's called the secure community network and it's uh uh, essentially a a network uh, that protects Jewish institutions across the country is my understanding of it. And uh, so they work with individual institutions, whether it's schools or synagogues or, or what have you, um, to do assessments of their security situation, to give them advice on both how to set up their physical security uh, protocols, right? Like what, it's, uh, what kind of doors, how, how would you, how do you implement a, uh, the best strategy for a lockdown, that sort of thing. And then also it helps monitor these 
Jewish institutions for threats uh, 24-7, it seems like. They, they are actively monitoring all of these institutions, whether it's school or synagogue or, or whatever, uh, to see what's going on with them. And then they will immediately be able to uh, do crisis management for them in in the event of some sort of attack like this one. And so they can, uh, as they did in this case, take video or pictures of what's going on, transmit that to the local law enforcement. They already have a sort of working relationship and they can get police response immediately or you know near immediately. And they can sort of give them all the information that a law enforcement officer would want to be able to address the problem because that's obviously another significant part of dealing with these things. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't, enough cannot be said about having a picture of your bad guy right away, almost right away to be, to be sent out to all the police laptop computers so they can actually see who they're looking for frequently in the aftermath of these things. If the shooter isn't, isn't killed or doesn't commit suicide, finding the person quickly is of critical importance for obvious reasons. Who knows where else they're going to go and what else they're going to do. So the idea that they have not just a description, you know, white guy in a blue shirt, which is what I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking at the reload article right now. Heavy set balding white guy in a blue shirt could be there could be 30 of those people that you're going to pass on the way to this thing. And, you, you know, you don't want to stop every single one of them. Having a picture is great. I think and I'm just going out and limb here. I don't know much about this, but if you have, you know. If you have a, a, a building where there's controlled access, where the doors are locked from the outside and there's only one way for a visitor to come in, um, and you can set up a system where there's that outer door where you'll go, okay, that outer door is just open. Then there's an inner door that has someone who has con access control over it so they can lock it remotely or they can unlock it remotely based on who you are and whether they think you have good or bad intentions is is great. But that wouldn't, you know, it's just not going to apply, like I said earlier, to a giant, you know, sprawling high school campus. But it doesn't mean the individual buildings on that campus can't have at least a little bit something of that of that nature so that they can prevent somebody from getting in uh, who, who has bad intentions. Again, looking at the picture on my screen, the guy's walking in with what appears to be a pistol in his right hand. So I think they probably knew right away this wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure they did. And I, I think there are still plenty of, as you noted, uh, questions that we'd love to see more information on, like exactly – what was it that prevented him from getting in the school? What were the physical security measures that they have so that, you know, perhaps other schools can take advantage of that knowledge and develop their own safety plans in line with, with how the secure um, community network works. And also, you know, how this, this uh, Hebrew Academy in, in Memphis implements their recommendations. Cause obviously it worked in this situation. Right. And if, if more schools, can have a similar program, then perhaps we can mitigate the risk of these events. Um, you know, what they're they're rare statistically, but obviously nobody wants to see any of these ever succeed. And so, anything you can do to find uh, real world solutions that will mitigate that, or will prevent future shootings, or or make them uh, make your school less vulnerable to them, is a positive, right? Absolutely. And I, I know there'll be some people who see this and say, well, there you go. There's your there's your end all be all your one solution for preventing school shootings. And therefore, we don't need armed people inside the school. And I would push back on that uh, before I hear it from anyone, uh, because no, no physical security system is perfect. So I still would like to see armed, trained staff members inside the school in the right positions, uh, 
go see Ed Monk for any any of that information. He'll tell you how how it goes and what actually works. So access alone, access control alone can't solve every problem because it could be it could be an insider, it could be someone who's a current student or a current staff member who decides they want to go in and do bad stuff. And that that applies to not just schools but anywhere. Um, but sure. I'm, but I'm happy to see a, a happy ending here. Was there anything else you wanted to add before we part ways, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, I just think that uh, well, one, there's never going to be any completely perfect security plan for any sort of institution. I would I would imagine, but this is the first time that I've seen this type of networked approach. Uh, it's the first time I've heard about something of this nature where Me you too. not only have the school itself with its own protocols, but also this supporting organization that comes in and doesn't just give them advice, but also actively works with them on a regular basis to keep up that that protocol and to work with them when there is an actual emergency that needs to be responded to. So that that's perhaps something that should be take, you know, we should all take a much closer look at how we can, uh, you know, uh, replicate that sort of program elsewhere. So folks, if you know anyone from this school who'd be interested in talking, or you know, someone from the security network who'd want to talk, <coughs> excuse me, uh, have them reach out to me, Mike at ActiveSellProtection.com. And Stephen would love to hear from you too. What's your email address, Stephen, if they want to get a hold of you? Yeah. Gutowski at the reload.com if you, if you want to reach out. I've been reaching out to uh, the Secure Community Network. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to hear more from them in the in the future. There is obviously a little bit in the story. If you want to read their basic outline of, of how they were able to prevent this attack, you should check out the story over on the reload.com. So it's Gutowski at the reload.com. That's Gutowski common spelling. Yes. G-U-T-O-W-S-K-I. Good good point. That's not a common name. So, Well, it, here's a little inside baseball, a little inside joke. So the service that we use to record this on uh, gives me a transcript every week. So I'm, I, after we finish uh, recording, I'll go back and I'll start editing the video and the audio and the transcript. Every week, it finds some funny new way of saying uh, Gutowski when it translates, you know, what I'm saying onto the written. And last week it was get out, ski three words i don't know what to tell you folks it's 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 a, it's a great it's a great name gutowski gutowski files this is the end of the gutowski files folks do me a favor go to uh, apple or wherever you listen to this or, or watch this and give us a five star review try to say something nice about us and uh, as always steven you have the last word sir absolutely <laughs>